the latest in agricultural media and some smart conversation. This is the Ag Communicators Network podcast, and here's your host, Kelsey Litchfield. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the AgCom Network podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Litchfield, and I am so excited to have you listen in on my conversation today with Matthew Grassi, who is a field editor for Meister Media Worldwide. And the reason I'm so excited, some of you might know I am a freelance videographer, and today we are talking drones, how to utilize them if you're a photographer, videographer, or maybe if you're someone looking for a freelancer, um, what things you should be thinking about when it comes to drones and regulations, ethics, gear, all that good stuff. So we'll get into it in a moment with Matthew and hear all of his wonderful tidbits that he has to offer. A little bit about Matthew before we get started. He is a career journalist and he graduated from Cleveland State with a concentration in sports journalism. And then after college, he started as a sports editor at a small community newspaper in northern Michigan. And then he happened to find himself reporting in the agriculture industry. He started about seven years ago for Meister Media Worldwide, which is the publishing company of many media outlets, including CropLife, CropLife Iron, and PrecisionAg.com. So let's hand it over to Matthew and we'll get started to talk all about drones. Matthew, before we go on any of these questions about drones, I do have one question that has been kind of ingrained in me. I did an internship in college and wrote many stories and I was always told um, not to write drones, but actually do um, actually type out or say UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles. So before we start any qu- questions, let me preface by which term do you prefer and then maybe which term um, is most likely used? Interesting question, Kelsey. That's a debate that we have uh, had pretty robustly here in the halls at Meister Media Worldwide as well. Um, so so that are, rewind back to the start of drones and, and kind of the, the, the startup of the drone industry. This was back 2012, 13-ish when, when drones and ag really started to get hot and we were having this this conversation internally as well and and we settled on uh, UAVs as well unmanned aerial vehicles being the first reference and then just shorten it to UAV Mm -hmm. and every reference after that but what we've kind of evolved to is is that unmanned aerial vehicles is a pretty technical term and as you also know a lot of media is is framed so that Google search, Google Analytics will will pick up your media and kind of distribute it wider on the web for people that are searching for topics. And and we've learned that readers and consumers don't use that term in Google search at all. They'll just use drone. They don't really use unmanned aerial, aerial vehicles or the shortened UAV for that. So we've kind of evolved our approach to now we're we're always using drone, but at first it was a UAV was kind of the, the preferred 
nomenclature in the, in the mm -hmm. ag industry. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for clarifying that because I'm kind of in the same boat as you was starting out. You do you spell it out unmanned aerial vehicles, then you do UAVs, and then um, just lately, more lately, I've seen just casual word of drones. So it's good to see yeah. kind of that time timeline of things. And for the rest of our conversation as well, because a question where I'm talking about drones and UAVs, I don't want to get confusing. So. Matthew, tell us a little bit about how you use drones in your own job. Sure. So I am a field editor here at Meister Media on the uh, Precision Ag brand and CropLife brand. Mostly I've, I've used drones just as kind of a supplemental storytelling device. Just to, I mean, picture a drone. I, I tell this to a lot of people who, who, you know, ask me about drones and they may seem a little apprehensive or you know, for lack of a better word, intimidated by the technology. And there, there's a lot going on there in a drone. There's all, I mean, there's IoT, there's uh, edge computing, there's all these mm -hmm. very very advanced technologies going on. But to me, I just picture a drone as a flying camera, basically. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a flying tripod and the camera the drone itself is the tripod and the camera, the payload that the drone is carrying is what's really important. So basically I, I, I use the drone just, you know, to capture images, to get that aerial view for any feature stories I'm doing. Um, mm -hmm. For instance, I, I got to visit with the Blue River Technologies guys and they're doing some really awesome stuff for John Deere. John Deere acquired them back mm -hmm. in 2017. But just to be able to get kind of that bird's eye view of their sea and spray rig in, in the field down in Texas where they were testing it at the time in cotton and, and to see it moving along the field and spraying different weeds and you could see what it was doing from a pot it's just a whole nother perspective a whole nother view and, it, and I, I believe it really adds to the to the visual storytelling aspect of mm -hmm. any any media mm -hmm. definitely and that kind of leads into my next question. Um, for ag communicators, you mentioned we use drones to capture images, capture video, and it supplements the story we are trying to tell. Um, how else have drones been used in the ag industry? I know they're not only used for the purpose we have them, so can you kind of give a little background of how drones have been used in the ag industry? And Sure. So, um yeah, I could probably, I, we could probably spend two or three whole podcasts on this one, but because yeah. uh, really these guys are doing so much now, especially compared to when they first came out. So when yeah. drones first came on the scene in ag in kind of 2013, 2014, very much uh, a, a kind of a, an investigative tool almost. So they were using them. A lot of these growers that are irrigated have many fields spread mm -hmm. across many areas of the county and and as you know if you own these irrigation pivots someone has to go check on things with those make sure all the sprinklers are running um, make sure everything's running good tires can get stuck and things in the field and mm -hmm. the pivot can get stuck mm -hmm. so early on a lot of guys were just using the drones just to get up and, and get a view on those pivots and, and not have to walk out into the field and inspect you know walk the pivot and inspect mm -hmm. every piece of it or something like that um plant scouting is another huge one that, that mm -hmm. at first was very and it still is today you know very yeah. much in use just 
instead of sending an intern out into eight foot tall corn in the middle of July when it's a hundred degrees in Missouri and with a notepad and kind of, Hey, what can you see? It's, it's proven much more effective to get that bird's eye view of the whole field. And, and you can just see things so much better. So much more efficient. Um, so much more efficient. Yeah. Than, than mm-hmm. sending out a bunch of young kids into a, a really hot, really tough working environment. Different sensing payloads have, have evolved over the years. So when drones first came on the scene, it was all RGB, which is drones speak for just regular, you know, standard shot footage that you can get with any point and shoot camera or even the cell mm-hmm. phone camera on your phone. Um, now drones, a lot of times are, are carrying these really advanced sensing payloads such as NDVI, which is normatized uh, difference of vegetation index. So that is a camera that actually sees what the human eye can't see as far as plant health signals. When you when you scan the plants from above, you can see things such as, hey, maybe these plants need more fertilizer. Maybe there's a fungus, there's some type of disease that we're going to need to treat, you know, pretty soon here with fungicide. And that that's really an advanced kind of mm-hmm. user case that are doing those. And then this season, something that's really hot for 2019, it seems like our stand counts and then weed mapping. So mm-hmm. a lot of growers are, are using drones to just rate as the plants are coming out of the, out of the ground, start scanning the field so you can get kind of a, a report card on how your planter did in the spring, mm. how you plant the field. And then also, they're also mapping out weeds from above so that a lot of these growers, as you know, are trying to get away from broadcast applying everything, fertilizer, herbicide, fungicide, all these, all these kind of expensive crop input products. They're no longer wanting to apply the whole field. They want to kind of spot treatment things where, where it needs it the most. And when you, do, you can get up in a, with a drone and fly your field and then map out these areas of really high weed pressures and maybe you maybe only treat that area or maybe you use a higher rate you know up into the label will allow to, to kind of treat that area versus some other areas of the field where the the weed infestation is not as intense. Mm-hmm. that's that's really cool and it's almost kind of crazy what drones can do so speaking of um, what how drones have been used in agriculture, Matthew, tell us what kind of drones you're using today. Like, if I were just to see you in action, what kind of drone would you be using? So it would obviously it would depend on the job. So mm-hmm. for a typical um, photo shoot, say I'm out shooting a cover story for CropLife for PrecisionAg.com, I would bring along with me my Phantom Pro 4, which is the latest uh, DJI, the, the white quadcopter with the four propellers that are kind of, everyone's seen them by now, that are pretty ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. And uh, that thing has a 20 megapixel camera and a one-inch uh See, I'm going to get this wrong, but it has a one-inch sensor on it, so it has way more uh, resolution than even I need for, for oh. internet publishing and print publishing. And uh, all, the, all the capabilities that you need in just a, a typical point-and-shoot drone that you're not going to be doing anything too crazy with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have a, I also have my DJI Phantom 3 Standard, which was my starter drone that I kind of got started with a little bit. 
at first um, I still have the 3DR Solo, which is a uh, actually an American company where the, the developer broke away from DJI and started his own little side project producing these drones that are, are really fortified and made for heavy industry use, dust, heavy shock absorption, like really strong, robust material. Um, and they've actually gone out of business now, which stinks, but I still use their stuff here and there when, when I can. And uh, that's, yeah, I have three right now. Do you, did you just buy those off Amazon or did you go to a direct website? I'm just trying to give people of how they're looking into drones, where, what would be a good starting step for them? Sure. Amazon would be a great place to start, <laughs> mostly because of how much, they just have a crazy selection. I mean, anything, you, you're going to be able to find anything you want pretty much on Amazon. I bought mine off a, a website called dronenerds.com, who I've been kind of using for a lot of my stuff since mm -hmm. the start. They're more the the professional photographers, drone company kind of thing. They, they, they offer, Amazon is going to offer you whatever you need as a consumer. And then, and then drone nerds, they have kind of the next level where you can get different sensors integrated. You can get different professional specs that, that only a pro would need. So I, I try to buy all my stuff off them. Good. So that kind of leads into my next question of when you're a drone user, you definitely are a beginner or intermediate or more of a professional. So for those that have no idea what to look for in a drone when they're just starting out, what would be your recommendation when looking at gear, what they should be looking for as a beginner? You know, as a beginner, I would definitely start with something small that, uh, one, you're not going to be intimidated by possibly hurting yourself on the propellers because there is kind of a learning curve to to being safe, safely operating and starting a drone that, mm -hmm. you know, you've heard, you've heard some of the, the horror stories about people getting their hands stuck in the yeah. propeller and there's, there's really, I mean, it is a, it's a great tool, but it's not a toy. There's if you aren't very careful and know what you're doing, there is the chance to, to hurt yourself at times. Mm -hmm. So for any beginner, I would say just kind of go shoot. You could even go to Walmart or Best Buy and kind of see the, the small stuff that is really inexpensive that you mm -hmm. can fly around in your living room or in your basement or somewhere that, that get the hang you can crash stuff and get a hang for the controls mm -hmm. in, in, Learn how to fly before you invest the money into like a, a DJI or something, a Phantom or something really nice that if you break it or you lose it, you're going to be pretty upset. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm glad you made that point because when I was looking into drones, I was looking to one that at least costed oh, about $1,100. $1, and do you want to just mention that just now? I probably would have gone ahead and bought it and be like, I don't know how to fly this. So that's a really good point. And getting something inexpensive, it's not going to cost you too much, get the hang of it, and then now if they're looking for an actual one to fly and take photos and videos with, what would be the next step, maybe as an intermediate? Sure, you know, I, I would say start off with maybe something like the DJI Phantom 3 standard, which you can pick up right now, at, I think at 
Walmart for like 300 bucks. Um, you still have the 12 megapixel camera. You still have up to a mile range. You still have all the things that are kind of that next step up above the toy drones, but you're still in a price point where if you have a flyaway or if you crash it or, you know, God forbid something happens where you lose it or you're not, I mean, you're going to be upset, but it's not going to be a, a whole, you're not going to get that bad taste in your mouth that a lot of guys did. So in the start of this, a lot of people were super excited about drones and they were going out buying all the latest and greatest, the, you know, the DJI Phantom 4, $1,500. Sure, why not plunk down 400 for an iPad that can run all the software, et cetera. Sure, why not? And then they fly them and they end up losing it. And I mean, you just wasted $2,000, you know, and you're just, you get a bad taste in your mouth and you're like, forget drones. I'm this isn't for me mm -hmm. well if you think about it when you're first starting out in photography uh you start out with a canon or a nikon or a little point and shoot and you gradually you gradually learn those and then move up and this the same application to drones is what people need to keep in mind because it's not like you're gonna learn it just off the bat like that's going to jason practice Sure, right. Like, I mean, unless you're the luckiest person on earth, your first car is probably not going to be a Jaguar or, right. or a Porsche or something. You're going to start with the Ford Taurus and, and learn mm -hmm. it and make and handle that, and then mm -hmm. maybe down the line you go for the Jaguar. Mm -hmm. Definitely. If you could go out and buy any drone, what would be like your dream list? I guess this could be something. Looking down the road, this could be someone's Jaguar. Well, I was just looking at it this morning, so I'm glad I did that. But the uh, the DJI Inspire 2 mm. is kind of the top of the line professional cinematographer, uh, photographer, bird, as we call. It. So in the in the business, you refer to your drone as your bird. Mm. So that's kind of the top commercial bird that that a someone who uses it for photography for cinematography for capturing just really smooth buttery visuals and, and video that's kind of the top of the line right now good that's good to know it's coming something that i can aspire to have um a kind of a different question for you um i was looking into gopro drones um what are your thoughts on um the brand of gopro okay that's uh wow we uh so, so the GoPro, uh, let's see, that was, I think, last year. And everything that I've heard is, I've got to be honest with you, Kelsey, hasn't been the greatest on, okay. on their, and I'm not even sure if it's still even sold or if, they're, if they've kind of moved off the, the drone business, GoPro. But right now, if it's not a DJI or a Parrot, which is a French aviation company that's they, they make a lot of really the good ag stuff like Sensefly and but I would say if it's not a DJI or a Parrot I don't know if I would even bother gotcha. with it. Well it's always good to know because you just don't know about a brand it's always good to keep your perspective open and I never bought that drone because I just didn't have the funds at the time to do it but um, I think that just goes to show you need to start out little and then ask people that you know um, that have drones, see what their recommendations are, see how their experiences are, and then um, do your research, I guess is what I'm getting at. 
I know Best Buy has a really awesome return policy. Like I've I've got friends that when they saw me kind of getting into the into this drone thing, they were like, "Oh, I want to get one. Let me check." And they would buy, you know, different ones and fly them. And now ah, this isn't really for me. And return it. And Best Buy had no. I mean, they took it back hmm. and gave them their money back. And then they buy the other one and try, so try them all out. Hey. Yeah, that's good to know. Try it out. <laughs> see what you think. And yeah. if it's not for you. That's okay. Matthew, one of the things I want to talk about in bulk today is there are a lot of regulations surrounding drone use um, in commercial applications. I'm curious about how have you navigated those regulations in terms of being an ad communicator and using the drones for photography and videography? Sure. So um, the main regulation right now uh, governing commercial use of drone imagery in the U.S. is FAA's Part 107 Commercial uh, Pilot in Charge Regulations. So in order to operate commercially, which is defined as any use of a drone or the drone data or drone imagery where a some type of business is being performed or money is changing hands or there is some type of commercial hook there you have to apply for and pass the FAA part 107 uh, test which in that process you get very aware of all the regulations and everything that you need to know as a drone pilot in charge to stay within the letter of the law and not accrue a $30,000 FAA fine which is the starting level for if you are sanctioned by FAA, there is a judicial process, and if they convict you under their judicial process for whatever it may be, no one has been hit with that full $30,000 fine yet, but it's out there. It's kind of a, it's a pretty big, uh, pretty big no-no to, I would not want to be facing that is what I'm Mm -hmm. trying to convey here, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so part of that part 107 process, when you get that license, you at the end of that process should be fully aware and 100% knowledgeable of all the commercial regulations, everything that you need to know to operate within the legalities of the FAA, staying out of controlled airspace, which is a big one here in the U.S. We have a, a ton of airspace. We have a ton of airports and heliports and private airstrips, and, and you have no idea they're even there until you, till you kind of jump into this aviation world and you learn how to read these sectional maps that the FAA puts out and you start to see all the different airspace classifications it's very very complicated it's not it's not something you can't do because obviously a lot of people are are learning it and, and mastering it but it takes a lot of time. How did you go about getting licensed what was that process like? Well there's there's tons of resources on online right now both paid and for free um, at the time, I was kind of, I was doing this kind of a, as a as a side thing for me, and I wasn't really into paying $300 for a drone ground school, as they call it online. So I uh, downloaded a bunch of the free training guides and and down and took books out of my local library on sectional maps and how to read FAA charts and and how to read the weather. NOTAMs, which are the notices that, that they send out for, for weather at certain uh, locations that aviation professionals have to be able to interpret and, and understand. 
um, it was a lot of studying. I mean, I spent, mm -hmm. so the, the part 107 process opened up in September of 2016. I got my license, I think around September 30th of 2016, but I spent that probably that entire summer from May to August every weekend and, and most of the nights when I could find the time just studying everything I could and doing practice quizzes and reading blogs and reading kind of all the just staying completely immersing myself and staying up to date with with all the different things I needed to learn for that test. Is that something you have to constantly be updated about? Do those, do any of the regulations change or is it once you have passed and you've got that license, you're good to go? Oh, no, no, yes. It, there is a continuing education part okay. of it that's, that's really important that you have to keep up on. And there's actually, once you get about a year, year and a half out, the, there's supposed to be a, a trigger where the FAA is supposed to come out and visit you live and kind of test your knowledge and wow. and that hasn't happened for me yet and I'm not sure if if that was like something that was proposed originally and then it's like an inspection almost so I, I've yet to to have that happen I haven't gotten any emails or anything about it but I know that that was part of the the part 107 originally they might have legislated that out I'm not sure mm -hmm. but yes you you've got to stay on top of this stuff. You've got to, and, and on top of that, you've got to constantly be looking at those sectional maps because things can change on those aviation maps as well that, that can change whether you're operating legally or you're in controlled airspace mm -hmm. and you could be in trouble. How do you how do you go about preparing a story? Because obviously you don't stay in one location. How do you go about preparing a story um, and then maybe you're going to use the drone for a specific purpose. How do you go back? I, and this, I guess, leads into my ethical question. How do you make sure everything's a-okay, good to go? So there are a bunch of apps for that. So there is an app for that. But um, Airware is, uh, is one of them where you can actually plug in coordinate, coordinates or at physical addresses and see kind of where you're going to be on the map as far as the, the FAA sectional maps that show the different classifications of airspace. Um, but a lot of times it's get, just getting out to that physical location and then once you're there and you can pull up, you know, you have your, your FAA sectional maps on either your iPad or your phone that you got and you can kind of just, you know, ping your, your location and see exactly where you are on that FAA uh, sectional map and you can see what what airspace you're going to be operating in. Gotcha. There's also a, a, a no a check before you fly. FAA puts out an app that's a check before you fly where you actually just pull the app up and hit your location button and bam it'll tell you exactly what airspace you're in. Yes you can yes you can fly here. No you need to notify the tower before you fly here or no you can't fly here period. This is controlled airspace. So I guess the overall theme of this is it's not put your drone out, have it fly and record a video, take a picture. There's a lot more entailed to that and you need to make sure you're following the rules or um, you're gonna get fined. So this is something people shouldn't take very lightly. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I would just specify if you're just a hobbyist, just a guy who's not 
doing this for commercial, then the only thing you need to worry about is whether you're within five miles, within a five mile radius of an operating runway. If okay. that's the case, you cannot fly at all. But if you're a, a, just a hobbyist, you don't need to know all the air, different airspace classifications and what airspace you're in, except as long as you're outside of that five mile radius of the operating airport, you can fly. Mm -hmm. It actually exactly. becomes more difficult to find places where you can legally fly once you're commercially licensed versus being a hobbyist, mm -hmm. which is kind of weird, but... <laughs> And for those that are listening to this and are interested in using a drone as part of your storytelling process, be sure to talk with your supervisor, your editor, whoever you're with to making sure that um, everything is okay on that side, as well as you going to get your license and following the rules, basically. So this is a conversation to have with your own employer as well. It's such a cool way to tell a story that it's, it's worth it to do all this work and um, have this as part of your tool belt, per se, for when you're telling a story. It really is. I mean, I couldn't say it any better myself, Kelsey. I, I agree 100% with that statement. I do have a random question that just kind of popped in my head. Um, a lot of people in ag media, they'll go out and hire freelancers. So I'm going to step into an editor's shoes. What should they be looking for if they want to hire a freelancer to do um, videography or photography with a drone? Well, well, first I would want to make sure that, that the operator is part 107 licensed so that okay. I know that whatever, whatever imagery they're going to deliver to me has been legally acquired and, and can be used with whatever commercial usage it, it entails that that's legal. Um, I would also, you know, want to, I would ask just to see flight logs. I would want to know, you know, how many flights have you done? How many crashes and, and so many flights? How many flyaways have you had? How many, you know, do you carry drone operator insurance, mm. which is a whole other aspect of becoming a commercial drone operator. And if you're going to be doing flights over property or people, you need to have some form of liability insurance because as we all know drones crash things go wrong they can mm -hmm. fly out of the sky uh, you know a wind gust can come along and turn that thing upside down and it can just i mean it's crazy how fast these things can plummet from <laughs> from yeah. the sky when they were just uh -huh. flying like one gonna go so I would 100% want to check out their safe, their flight record, make sure they're a safe operator. I would want to know about that Part 107 license and make sure that they have it. I would want to know whether they offer drone liability insurance in case it's a operation above people or property that there could be an issue if something gets damaged or someone gets hurt, God forbid. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else, you know, and then of course I would, I would just want to see their, their overall imagery portfolio, see mm -hmm. kind of projects they've worked on, what imagery they've captured, what different techniques they've learned as far as flying and, and capturing video or, or capturing different images. Matthew, is there any other ethical practices you want to share with our audience when it comes to flying drones? Is there anything else that pops into your mind? You know, I, 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 it's something I see a lot, and I was actually, I was up uh, snowboarding in western New York a few weeks ago, 
on one of my days off and uh i come down the hill and it's it's one of those busy days where it was a friday so there's a ton of people at the ski hill everyone having a great time beautiful weather and there's a guy with a dji 4 just like hovering over like right over the patio where everyone's eating and drinking and, and you know the 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 drone nerd in me wanted to be like oh my god dude you you know flights over people are not licensed under commercial rule like are you what are you doing mm-hmm. <laughs> i stymied the the drone nerd inside me and i i didn't bother the guy because one it, you never want to bother someone when they're flying that's that's just another thing that you, you kind of want to as a as a law enforcement i know law enforcement is trained to to speak to you and have you draw land whatever you're doing land the drone before they even really interact with you because you never want to distract someone that's in the middle of operating a drone in in controlled airspace or not because you know bad things can happen when that happens um so yeah no i would just really caution people to be extremely careful when you're flying over large groups of people um ethically you need to get people's permission to operate a drone over them okay also need to get people's permission written however you want to capture that to take off or land on their property now Mm -hmm. the airspace above anyone's property is property of the FAA so technically you can operate in any airspace that you know is legal for you to operate you don't have to worry about property owners kind of pitching a fit but you cannot land or take off from private property without someone's explicit consent gotcha um trying to think what else um you know animal ag i've heard this before but a lot of people just appreciate you to ask their permission if you're going to fly over their herds of cattle over any any you know farm animals or because i guess they can get spooked by the drone and Mm -hmm. and it's just it's just you know it's it's really common sense just anything that you think hey, this is common sense. It's mm-hmm. always best to just do that. Yeah, definitely. It lends itself to drone usage so well because it's a lot of it's happening in, in sparsely populated mm-hmm. rural areas where there's just not a lot of people constantly around in vehicles and just kind of craziness. Yeah. Like, I would much rather fly in an Iowa cornfield than like put my drone up in the center of Central Park in New York and be like, hey, mm-hmm. here I am, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Good thing we have that luxury, right? <laughs> different things can happen in that scenario. There's just so many different things that can happen in that mm-hmm. scenario that you, it's just mm-hmm. crazy. Matthew, we've been talking about storytelling, obviously, this whole time through drone use. So quickly, as we kind of wrap up our conversation, could you tell me about a favorite project you did that involved drones, like how you incorporated them and how you use them to tell your story. Can you think of any stories in mind? Yeah, there's, there's a couple, you know, there, the, the uh, Blue River Technologies visit that I did down in Lubbock, Texas, down when they were uh, testing their sand spray rig, which John Deere has now acquired. But it, long story short, it's a pull behind rig that can tell the difference between a plant and a weed, and it'll spray herbicide on the weed and leave mm-hmm. the plant alone. But a really 
very cool technology, and those guys were kind of in their, their beta testing period back in 2017, right before they were acquired by John Deere, and they, they brought me down to uh, to do the story, but I also got to shoot some drone imagery, and it was really awesome, but uh, like the second day on my, I think it was the second flight I did, I'm flying it you know, and there's just nothing around. It's beautiful. There's no wind. It's the perfect flying conditions. And all of a sudden, this aerial applicator just comes dive bombing, you know, underneath the, the power lines. I mean, he could, he was probably like 15, 20 feet off the ground, right into the field we were in. And that was, I mean, my heart stopped and mm -hmm. I just immediately <laughs> hit the joystick down and the drone just went straight down and landed because that is super dangerous to be operating a drone mm -hmm. in, in the vicinity of, of a, something like that where you just don't know where he's going or what he's doing mm -hmm. right um, that was a good one uh then then actually my first commercial flight i ever did uh our horticulture group here in the in the building they manage a bunch of fruit and vegetable publications that, that serve those markets and they were actually getting out to a apple orchard here in Northwest Ohio as kind of a client visit and, and all their editors were going. So they let me tag along on that one. And uh, the gentleman who owned the orchard actually, he saw me setting my drone up and he, he comes out and he's got this picture in his hand. He says, you know, this, this was a, a aerial survey that my grandfather did of our, our, this orchard back in 19, whatever it was, 40s, 50s. And he's like, I wanna know, can you recreate this photo? And I was like, sure, why not? You know, show me kind of, he showed me kind of where he thought they were when they took it. And, and we kind of looked at the different landmarks in the photo and oriented ourselves to, to where it was. And then I went up and took a bunch of pictures for him. And he, I, I, he was so thankful. He oh, cool. loved it. He was able to recreate that picture that his grandfather or whoever his father had, had, had taken. And I know that that sits, you know, up in their operation and their, super proud of it and that was just a really kind of a neat little thing mm -hmm. that I got to do and that was my first flight so that was kind of cool. Definitely memorable <laughs> right. uh, especially I guess you, you I always remember your first car your first piece of photography equipment you always remember your first commercial flight when flying a drone so um, Matthew thanks so much for talking to me today how can people connect with you maybe they'd like to see your drone footage or just I would like to connect with you. What's the best way they can do that? Kelsey, I would say um, I'm not a Facebook guy, so I would I do have an Instagram where I share my uh, drone photo footage and photos. It is uh, I guess it's at two one six aerial. So okay. that's the the at sign two one six, which is the area code here in the Cleveland area, and then the word aerial a e r i a l. That's Perfect. where I post the majority of my work. Awesome. Well, I will. And other than that, you can see my stuff on CropLife, CropLife.com, PrecisionAg.com. Um, trying to think where else. Yeah, that's that's probably the best bet. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I know it's not um, an easy topic. There's a lot of there's a lot of different factors when talking about drones, but we talked everything from gear to regulations, just common ethical practices when flying a drone. So I hope people will um, take more information from this podcast. And hopefully, if they're kind of like me, I was being a little selfish, I want to do drones, just really didn't know the back end of it too well. And 
now I feel like I have some action steps on where to go. Nice. I would totally rec. I would uh, recommend you if you got the itch to to get out there and scratch it because it really it it's just super fun. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the AdCom Network podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and now Spotify. Just search the AdCom Network podcast. Until next time, thanks so much for hanging out with me. This has been an Ag Communicators Network podcast. Thanks for listening. And please visit us online at agcomnetwork.com for more great content.